I'm Helen Taylor, content manager with In-Situ. In part one of our conversation with the Water Replenishment District's manager of hydrogeology, Brian Partington, and associate hydrogeologist, Moises Santian, In-Situ's senior application development manager for groundwater, Adam Hobson, and I talked with them about the district's origin, its mission to keep the region water independent through the use of recycled water and stormwater recapture, the power of continuous monitoring and remote data access, and how more robust data informs forecasting and planning. Let's continue the conversation and learn how the district is capitalizing on the latest remote water monitoring technology to simplify and expand access to continuous groundwater data to ensure a sustainable water future for the region. Now, you mentioned it a couple of times this idea of telemetry. Um, I know you guys are start are using that more and more. Um, how has that kind of changed? Not only your, I guess, your data collection, but also kind of operationally how maybe you know the 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 the, the monitoring team is working and and how that may be changing things for you. Yeah, the telemetry is, is nice. As I mentioned, we it's four hundred square four hundred twenty square mile region that we that we serve and. Uh, Los Angeles is uh, notorious for uh, really bad traffic. It's hard to get around and, you know, thinking about, you know, the betterment of the environment at large. Mm-hmm. If I can save a trip, say to my wealth site that's near downtown LA, and I can save and lower the carbon emissions by just getting my data, my workstation. I mean, that's, that's a that's a big plus right there. So that's a simple way where having that telemetry can be nice. You know, it saves me the drive to and from, and it's better for the overall environment. So that's one way. And then, you know, operationally, we have a de- dedicated field staff here. But as I mentioned, with, with 350 wells, your field staff can only cover so much ground. Mm-hmm. So um, having these different uh, pieces of equipment deployed. It, it helps us uh, get what we need to get and do what we need to do when we're not able to be there. And that's that's powerful. And, you know, sometimes that at any workplace, you know, it's, it's hard to expand the workforce um, and to rapidly onboard new staff. And, and if you have this sort of technology helping you out, you're able to maintain your standard operating procedures um, with your existing staff. So how, how many staff do you have right now doing the monitoring? We have four dedicated field staff. So you've got four dedicated field staff covering the entire area? Covering the entire area for our for this regional groundwater monitoring program. That's And so that's where these, these transducers and these water quality monitoring instruments um, Come in handy. That's impressive. Definitely come in handy. That's very good. It's very, very good. And telemetry isn't new, right? So were you using it before the um, debut of ViewLink in particular? Um, and has that shifted how you look at telemetry? Yes, we had we had been using telemetry um Primarily at our treatment facilities, and where we have um, wells that you know feed water into the facilities, they're equipped with 
you know, transducers and, and telemetry. Um, but that's more, spe- but it's equipment that's more specific in the operational world of the treatment facilities. Mm. And we wanted something that was more in line with other sets of equipment in the monitoring well space, if that makes sense. Um, we had start, we started incorporating telemetry, say about a decade ago at select key wells where we wanted, you know, that more frequent data collection. We have certain wells in the basin that are just more, more valuable based on their location. But we hadn't really expanded it um, to the other wells. We wanted to make sure that the data was, that the, the functionality of the equipment was consistent and reliable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in a scenario where you don't have reliable equipment, then it defeats the purpose of even deploying the equipment in the first place. Right, you have to right. constantly be going and troubleshooting, right? Right. So we were just kind of waiting um, and and making sure the technology was being more and more consistent and more and more reliable. And when we felt comfortable, um, we decided to expand it. And, uh, and we were able to then incorporate uh, ViewLink um, into, into most of our wells now. Into so most of them. Have, okay. uh, yeah, most of our well locations. Yes, we have um, at over forty locations, forty of the at over forty of the sixty-ish locations. So, um, and um, what's nice about ViewLink is that you know, kind of by waiting a little bit on our end, ViewLink was able to incorporate you know all the wireless features, mm-hmm. and you're able to program ViewLink on your cell phone. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, about a decade ago, you wouldn't be able to do that with telemetry. So it's um, it's great to see where the industry at large is headed. And um, and specifically with this with this ViewLink and ViewSitu uh, platform, how it's, it's made things easier on the end user. It's made things easier on our field staff and, and um, other contractors that will occasionally contract with our equipment. But... It's it's made things easier, and ultimately that leaves more time for the analysis, which is uh, where, like I said, that drives our decision making. And that's great mm-hmm. to hear, right? Um, because we we make a big deal at the at the company about talking about how we don't just go make a product, right? It's always to solve a customer challenge, yep. and so to hear that come full circle that now you're using the product and it's solving a customer challenge. <laughs> that's, yes. that's gratifying. That's good. It's not always perfect, but it's gratifying to hear that. Fair enough. Well, that's technology, right? Right. You, right. you, you make it happen and then you just persistently iterate it. Right. right? And it just improve it. And you guys have time. been working with our stuff for decades, right? I mean. Yeah, it's been decades. Yeah. Um, and, and even in my prior employer, uh, you know, Institute is always, it's one of the big names in the industry. Um, and you guys definitely have a good reputation. Uh, your equipment has a good reputation. Um, so as, as, as far as I'm in my professional career, um, you guys always been, been up there definitely. And customer service is always on point and that always, that always helps, right? Oh, that's fantastic to hear. Appreciate that. Going back a little bit more to the idea of the sensors and the data that's actually being collected, um, a lot of this I think we've been talking about is more about water level, but there is now more stuff happening with water quality. 
Um, I know, obviously, you know, we talked a little about saltwater intrusion. Um, electrical conductivity is a primary measurement with that. But um, tell me a little more about how you guys are using some of the water quality data that you may be collecting and, and, and where that's where that's where that's been and where maybe it's going and how you might be able to use that that data. Yeah, so as I mentioned, we, we collect water quality and um, we go out and sample these wells and what a sampling event entails is is purging um, the water from, from each well and collecting uh, laboratory samples for analysis. Because after all, you know, we're a water district and, and we're, you know, we're, we're our own water agency, but we still have to abide by regulatory standards mm-hmm. set by the state water boards and regional water quality control boards. So you want to make sure that the data is in line with our, you know, various compliance permits or drinking water standards. But while being in the field, you want to get a good idea before you have to wait for your lab result. Mm-hmm. And that's where the field screening helps out. Um, that's where the, the field water quality instrumentation gives you a good indication of how the water is performing. If I'm getting concerning results in the field, I might think twice about whether or not it's one representative sample, mm-hmm. right, uh, of the aquifer, or two whether um, I might even collect the the, the water sample, right. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's good having that in- indication in the field. It's good to seeing the field pH, the temperature, um, you know, the the conductivity, the various parameters that indicate the general water quality. Um, and I'll give you a, a good example is say you're installing a well and part of the well construction process is what's called well development mm-hmm. where basically you pump the well and try to remove as much of the um, fine grain materials still in the well uh, due to the drilling and such. And as you're pumping in all that water, you're, you know, you're moving the fines, it's getting a little bit more clear and um, you'll eventually post-development, collect a water sample and send it to the lab. Um, well, in the field, I can see what these measurements are based on the water quality instrumentation. And namely, I can see, for example, what the turbidity is, mm-hmm. what the general turbidity is before I get the lab result. And that'll indicate to me, well, if the turbidity is too high, I might not be able to, um, I might not be able to meet the regulatory standards. Mm-hmm. I might have to get this water contained and then appropriately discharged to a designated facility. Um, but if the turbidity is low um, based on my field screening, I feel pretty confident that the lab result will also show that. Um, and so that that affects our decision-making mm-hmm. um, and our different projects. So again, having that that field monitoring equipment, it's, it's, it's part of, it's why everybody uses it. It's why there's a need. It's why mm-hmm. this equipment was developed in the first place, right? We want to want to make sure that we're we're confident in what we're seeing mm-hmm. and um, that that real time data acquisition you can't beat that. Yeah, and I think that's a key part there. That that real time, the idea that you can make a decision in the field and not have to wait or make an assumption right. that something's not going to like you said, maybe the, you're going to assume that the water is too turbid so you're just going to containerize it and do what you need to do and then you just have additional Correct. expense or, you know, effort and all that uh, when right. you don't need to. Um, so going, 
In line with kind of the, the idea of telemetry, um, data right now, I think you, I think you have it delivered ultimately to you know you said you, you're getting it on your computer, um, and assume it's going into you know whether it's databases and then being used for modeling and and that sort of thing. Tell us a little bit. I think you you are using our uh, HydraView uh, data data management platform. Tell us a little more about how that's working out. Yeah, we use we use a uh, HydraView. Um, it's very intuitive and easy to use, which is always helpful as an end user. Um, you don't want to, you know, spending too much time trying to figure the system out. Right. Right. You want to be able to make it very easy to, to navigate on the website. Um, I like the the display of it. I immediately see all of my locations on the dashboard. I'm able to click, and at the click of a button, I can see a hydrograph, mm. you know, in seconds. Wow. Where you know, pre-hydroview days, you know, you're manually creating a hydrograph on Excel, for example. Right. Um, so I instantly see a hydrograph. Um, I'm also able to see for the telemetry, I'm able to see the battery life. Very simple, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> battery life, right? But I'm able to see um, what it is and, and based on its use when I need to go back out there to replenish the batteries. And to make sure that I can continue to get my data stream in. So, um, uh, yeah, HydraView is very helpful. I'm almost able to, almost able to download the the data. Mm-hmm. So that all of that, all of those data points plotted on the hydrograph, I'm able to download um, tables of that data, and uh, at a click of a button, in a couple minutes, I get I get all that spreadsheet data. Um, where otherwise I would have to either manually download at the transducer uh, and, and pre, you know, pre-technology, <laughs> yeah. I'd have right. to manually type it in one by one. So. Right, right. <laughs> Entering field notes, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Are you pulling data from HydraView directly into your own system? or your- Yeah, so we, we pull the data from HydraView um and then that data goes into our internal database. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have also our internal hydrograph files that have been developed since back in the day. Mm-hmm. And that data that just supplements the existing hydrograph files. Um, so yeah, it's it's a direct it's a direct plug in plug and play after after you've analyzed it. Right. And then what so then so the data ends up in a database. Then then what? What's the analysis that WRD is actually doing um, with with you know and with all this data that's coming in? Yeah, so as we know, water level and water quality are dynamic uh, data data sets. They change, and so you want to see the fluctuations um, at a specific location. It'll tell you about what might be going on in that location. Um, is that location are the aquifers unpressurized? meaning there are no um, impermeable units uh, above your aquifer. So you're getting more real-time fluctuations, more seasonal fluctuations. Um, is the, Are there nearby production wells or municipal wells that are drawing down the aquifer mm-hmm. and thereby lowering the water level you're seeing in your monitoring well? Um, and again, that expanded over, over a whole region, then you're able to see general water levels uh, you're able to do regional water level con- contour maps you're able to see water level change maps see where there are mm-hmm. water level rises water level depressions 
And on the water quality side, uh, same idea. Water quality isn't as dynamic as water level, but it can change. Um, and that's for a variety of reasons. Some of them, some, some water quality constituents, natural reasons, um, but some, you know, due to, to human impact, due to anthropogenic reasons. So if you do see water quality change at a specific location, there's a reason why. So you have to, you have to determine why. And then across the, the whole region, uh, same idea. It's changing. Why is it? What can we do to address it? And that goes back to your whole reason for being, right? The, <laughs> the replenishment piece and maintaining that water independence. Hmm. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You can't, you can't, you know, maintain water independence. You can't maintain a safe supply without the data. The data drives the decision making. So, Moises, looking, looking ahead, what would, where would you like to see, I guess, not only your monitoring program go in the future, but just groundwater monitoring in general? What are, what are you, what are you thinking where things need to, need to go? Well, it seems um, the trajectory is, 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 is good. It's on, it's on point in the sense that it's keeping up with technology. Uh, I mean, now, you know, there's artificial intelligence out there that can mm -hmm. do many, many things, right, for us. And so where we want to see uh, the, our monitoring program, but also the water monitoring industry at large, is we want to continue it. We want to continue improving the, how streamlined the data collection is, mm -hmm. um, how it's, it's wireless in the palm of my hand, in the field, and basically not having the data collection itself be burdensome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we can continue to do that um, at greater efficiency rates, then, you know, that's a win. That's a win. So, Brian, what can you share of WRD's plans for the future? Oh, right now, it's all about uh, becoming locally sustainable. And... Uh, there are two main things. Uh, one, we need to be able to work with our local pumpers uh, to better utilize the storage space in both of our basins. Right now, we have about 450,000 uh, acre feet uh, that we can place water in the basin. Um, and then also just working with the pumping community, we want to ensure that they're fully uh, utilizing their adjudicated pumping rights in both of the basins. And what this will do is this will help us reduce our reliance on imported water. Uh, there will also be some additional planning efforts uh, where we need to identify areas of the basin where we can inject advanced treated water into both the central and west coast basin. So really it's all about local sustainability and we think that the storage in our basin provides that ability to be able to become locally sustainable. So how will you guys be working then with kind of the hydrologic extremes that Southern California and, and really the world as a whole is starting to, to experience here between droughts and floods and all of that? So, yeah, this was a uh, record year for rainfall and uh, it resulted in us capturing a lot of local stormwater. And this is through uh, the great work of the Los Angeles County Department of Public Works. Uh, they were able to capture quite a bit of stormwater. Actually, it's a record year for us. 
uh, and that'll eventually help to uh, percolate down and fill up basins. Um, we have been in and out of these severe drought conditions for almost 20 years. Uh, in fact, it's the worst drought in the roughly 1,200 years. Uh, and we've seen our water levels and key wells drop uh, year after year. It seems like uh, each year we have a really good year. The water levels go up really good. Everybody's really happy. The governor uh, reduces any kind of drought restrictions and we're over the drought. And then next year too, we go right back into the drought. And it's been these real sharp peaks and valleys uh, that we've experienced. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we purchase water based on long-term averages. And in this past management cycle, uh, WRD has done pretty well. Um, and we've been able to get back to our optimum quantity due to this record year. Uh, but we need to do something differently in order to plan for future droughts and then also uh, work towards us being uh, independent of imported water and just being local, locally sustainable. And one way that we can do that is by using the storage within our basin at 450,000 acre feet. And there are two massive, and I mean massive, uh, recycled water projects here locally. Uh, the first one would be through the Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, uh, and that is Operation Next, where they'll be using the recycled water from Hyperion plant, which is currently going out to the ocean. Uh, and the second big one is a partnership between the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California and the Los Angeles County Sanitation District, and that is the Pure Water Southern California, and they will be using similar recycled water uh, from the Joint Water Pollution Control Plant in Carson, and that water typically goes out to the ocean. So if you were able to take both of these projects, just these two projects alone could make us fully sustainable uh, using just local resources, and that would provide the trout relief uh, that we would need within the Central and West Coast basins. Just by bringing that water back into the system, recycling it. Yeah, definitely. And our next big task is really uh, to look at um, ways that we can get that water into the basin. So we've got some modeling efforts underway where we're trying to identify the most optimal locations geologically, um, where the infrastructure is, and then also having to um, address any kind of you know shallow contamination that might be in the area. And so we're trying to find those areas of the basin that we can just inject that water in. It's also highly purified. so. It's, a, it's really clean water that's going to go into the basin. So that's just going to help the basin out tremendously. Right. So when you talk about these big projects, who needs to be involved? What partnerships are required to make these happen? So it's um, multiple parties. You can imagine it's, it's, we're talking about hundreds of millions of gallons a day per year. So these are large facilities and, um, they need to include uh, many different stakeholders. You've got um, the water replenishment district, where potentially the the client here, where we would be purchasing the water from these entities. Uh, you got the entities themselves. These are these aren't small agencies, right? So uh, there's a lot of coordination that needs to happen there. Um, you've got metropolitan and sanitation districts working together. Uh, that is the sanitation district having the uh, recycled water and then metropolitan having uh, ways to get that water out to uh, their uh, partners and their clients. And so there is a lot of 
uh, coordination that needs to happen on a lot of different levels. And when you have a lot of different government agencies working together, uh, there are those challenges. But uh, from what I've seen, they've been able to move these projects forward on kind of a rapid pace. Uh, there's a lot of funding available, both at the federal and the state levels. Uh, so that helps. Uh, Metropolitan has got their first early delivery project, and that's just getting water out through probably about the middle of the central basin. Uh, so now we're starting to plan where we can put that water, and then they'll continue to keep on the expanding these over uh, the next decade or two. Well, Brian Moises, this has been a terrific conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, great. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. This is Aquapod, brought to you by Insitu. You can find more episodes and subscribe to the podcast on our website, insitu.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please listen, share, and help us spread the word. This episode was produced by Helen Taylor and Adam Hobson with a big assist from Josiah Homeland and I25 Productions. We look forward to bringing you more water monitoring stories from the field. Until then, take care out there.